DW Africa Link Hello and welcome to the program that digs deep into the latest news from Africa and beyond. My name is Okeri Ngushinado. And Okeri is here with me, Michael Oti. Here is a quick reminder to you to join us on our Facebook page at DW Africa. This is where you can share your thoughts on the stories that we are covering. So here's what's coming up. 26,000 people have been displaced in floods in Ghana's southwest. When they were suddenly done, the water started coming. People could no longer pack their things from their rooms and uh, they, they, they moved to another place. And all their belongings are sucked in the water. And the unfolding humanitarian crisis is not peculiar to Ghana. Across West Africa, floods have killed more than 800 people this year. So what are experts saying? ECOWAS should have in place some early warning system, some monitoring system to have a, a weather station that can see the, the entire coast, the entire sub-region. We will bring you those details, but first, the world news in brief. DW News. Hello, I'm Keith Walker. Israel has launched more airstrikes across the Gaza Strip. One attack hit the densely populated city of Khan Yunus in the south, where the wounded were rushed to hospital. Hamas says four people were killed. Meanwhile, trucks are waiting at Egypt's border with Gaza to bring in shipments of aid. Israel has said it will allow limited amounts of humanitarian supplies into Gaza. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's office said Israel will not thwart the aid deliveries if they were limited to civilians in the south of the Gaza Strip and did not end up in the hands of Hamas militants. But the United Nations says Gaza needs more. Here's UN aid chief Martin Griffiths. We urgently need a mechanism agreed by all relevant parties to allow for the regular provision of emergency needs throughout Gaza to get the level of distribution of assistance up to what it was before these terrible weeks of 100 trucks a day providing assistance throughout Gaza to people in need. We need to get back to that level of ambition. Meanwhile, the German defence minister, Boris Pistorius, has been visiting troops on board a German warship. They're serving a United Nations peacekeeping force in Lebanon. Tensions at the border there have been growing as the Israeli military and Hezbollah militia face off. Earlier, German Chancellor Olaf Scholz travelled to Israel and Egypt, and in a speech to Parliament, he said Germany's place is firmly by the side of Israel. And Germany's Foreign Minister Annalena Baerbock is on her way to Jordan for talks on de-escalating the conflict. And just in the past hour, Germany's Foreign Minister has urged German citizens who are in Lebanon to leave the country now. Africa Link News comes to you from Germany's international broadcaster, DW. The International Criminal Court has released former Central African Republic militia leader Maxim Mokom. The court in the Dutch city of The Hague shelved its war crimes case against him, citing a lack of available witnesses and evidence. He had been accused of coordinating operations of the mostly Christian anti-Balaka militia. They fought against the mainly Muslim Seleka group. That fighting left thousands dead and displaced hundreds of thousands in 2013 and 2014. 
In Kenya, a female senator has threatened to lead a nude protest through the slums of Nairobi. Andrew Asiki is in the Kenyan capital with more. Senator Karen Yamu wants to demand more money for marginalized areas and her naked protest will draw attention to the dire living conditions of people living in slums. She underlined the persistent neglect slum dwellers experience from policymakers and legislators. Nairobi has been assumed to be a rich county. We ignore the slum dwellers of Nairobi. Nairobi is the home of big slums. As a women of Nairobi, we are going to undress in this town, Madam Speaker, so that we can get the attention of the policymakers and, the, and this house and, and the legislators. Finally, Kurdish Iranian woman Masha Amini has been awarded the European Union's top human rights prize. The 22-year-old died in police custody after being detained by Iran's so-called morality police. That was because her headscarf was allegedly too loose. Her death, you may remember, ignited unrest across Iran. The European Parliament on Thursday honoured Masha Amini with the Sakharov Prize. And that's the latest Africa Link News. I'm Keith Walker. Thanks, Keith, for the news. Uh, you are tuning into Africa Link, coming to you from our studios here in Bonn, Germany. I am Michael Uti. And I am Mokeri Ngushinado. We're also live on our Facebook page, DW Africa. And we welcome our listeners. I can see some of you have already joined in. Chima O. Moses um, is saying Nigeria can never clear Biafra. We also have Yabumani Koza listening in from South Africa. Be sure to drop your comments and we'll read them as the show goes on. Yes, and that piece on Biafra is going to come in our social media segment. Yes, yes, in the second half of the show, definitely. Yes, but uh, let's take you to an unfolding humanitarian situation in Ghana, where over 20,000 people in the country's Volta region have been displaced by floodwaters after managers of the country's major hydroelectric power dam decided to spill excess water. Mm -hmm. Now, homes and many key infrastructures that support livelihoods have been destroyed, with many victims crying for help. DW correspondent in Ghana, Isa Kalechi, has just visited one of the affected communities and reports. Residents of Mipe, a local community in Ghana's southwest, scrambled for relief items at a makeshift camp. They have been displaced by flat waters that have submerged their homes. Mipe is one of several communities where thousands of people lost their homes and livelihoods when water was spilled from Ghana's biggest hydro dam, the Akosombo Dam. Many families, including that of Goswe Afako, had no time to salvage their belongings. When the sensitization was done, we, uh, nothing happened again. We have not heard anything from them. So we were thinking that as the level of the water is rising, maybe they will be giving us some education and they will even ask us to pack our things from the room to another place, which they did not. When they were suddenly then the water started coming. People could no longer pack their things from their rooms and they, 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 they moved to another place and all their belongings are sucked in the water. Over 20,000 people have been displaced so far. Farmlands have been destroyed and public infrastructure compromised. Victims like Victor Amanu are now camping in temporary structures, but fear their plight is far from over. I've never seen this kind of flood in the area since I was born. This is what we can just classify as one of the most serious disaster ever. You understand me? And what is happening here also, uh, it's a health issue. Our health is paramount. Just imagine, 
uh, manholes that all the, the toilets goes into it and public toilets these things are all emerged in this water disaster management officials are still on the ground rescuing people ghana's president nanai kufuado has since taught the affected areas and promised government support the most important thing was first of all to ensure the life of people and that is why nine centers were established here in mepe for all the displaced people and the people all the people in these nine centers have been provided relief items by nanmo and it's nanmo's intention to continue the exercise of providing relief items. NADMO, the president speaks about, is the country's national disaster management organization. But member of parliament for one of the hardest hit constituencies, Samolo Kujetu Ablako says the disaster could have been avoided with proper planning and called on the president to declare a state of emergency to mobilize support from the international community. Uh, we want to see government do better. And, and, and we want to see an inquiry into this disastrous spillage. The people were not informed, they were not given prior notice, they were taken by surprise. And why is it that in this day and age we should be doing this primitive way of discharging water from the Akosombo Akbon dams? Rain in Ghana's north have increased water levels in the Akosombo Dam. To maintain the safety of the dam, managers have been spilling excess water. This has led to rivers downstream besting their banks and wrecking havoc. Those displaced for now are just hoping the water will recede so they can return to their homes. Isaac Kalechi with that report. And uh, unfortunate situation there in Ghana, Kerry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I'm just wondering how is it possible with, um, with a dam spillage? Does this happen every year or how is the situation then? It happens every year. Um, every year during the rainy season, the dam collects too much water mm-hmm. that it cannot hold. So excess has to be let out. Only that this time round, there's been too much rain um, at an unusual time of the year. So the spillage has been more than um, usual. And that's caused a lot of problems. Uh, but, you know, what's happening in Ghana at the moment is not peculiar to the country. Mm-hmm. We've seen uh, floods in Niger, for instance, in July of this year. And... Uh, the United Nations Humanitarian Affairs Coordination Office uh, has reported that more than 800 people have died this year in heavy rains in Niger, Nigeria, Gambia and Guinea. I mean, also more than 50, 57,000 homes, that's a lot, and some 4,000 hectares of crops have also been damaged. And that leads to fears of food insecurity and, of course, also increased malnutrition in some communities. It does. And when you think about the fact that a lot of these areas are dealing with drought, but when the rains come, it's too much rain. Uh, the question then is, what can regional governments do to mitigate the effects of these extreme weather conditions? And I talked to Joel Degue. He's an environmental scientist. And he begins with his assessment of Ghana's situation. The situation in Ghana at this moment is one of uh, pathetic, the rains have been heavy. Now, some estimates are saying that the last time Ghana got this amount of rain within the Akosombo Basin was in 1968. Is the volume of rain surprising? Ghana has two main rainy seasons. The the major one, starting from around uh, April up to May, June, July. And the minor one, 
around September, October. And then we have the Hamatan from mid-November, December to February. But I can tell you on authority that all these things we know in Ghana's geography have changed. As we talk now, this is the moment for the minor season, which is the smallest rainy season, lasting uh, barely two months and uh, having less rain. But this small season that we know or we knew in Ghana's uh, geography has become the heaviest. It is heavier than uh, the April, May, June, July rain that we had in this country. Now, it appears that those changes are not only happening in Ghana because floods are also happening in Niger, Nigeria, Gambia, and Guinea. Is there a climate angle here? Uh, Truly speaking, all these countries you mentioned fall in the same uh, climatic region, the equatorial climatic region. So you are, you know, we are just about four and a half degrees above the equator. Uh, countries from uh, around uh, Guinea, Cote d'Ivoire, Ghana, Benin, Togo, up to Nigeria there. So what is happening in Ghana is the same thing because uh, we are in the same climatic zone. Now, given the changes, uh, how should regional governments prepare for these floods? A single country cannot. Um, face it and you know overcome it. Yeah, so a body like ECOWAS should have in place some early warning system, some monitoring system, and some of this uh, meteorological decision should not just be Ghana alone, but it should be for the entire uh, decision. They should mount already some satellite in space uh, trying to give all these countries warning. Uh, I have seen Advanced countries have some developed technology to see all those things. Yeah, so this is what uh, the regional body ECOWAS need to do now, environmentally, climatically, to have a, a station, a weather station, uh, somewhere that can see the, the entire coast, the entire sub-region, and predict the oncoming of rain and uh, other climatic uh, phenomena. I was speaking to Joel Degu, an environmental scientist. Now, we also asked on our Facebook page, the government has announced that the World Bank funded Food Systems Resilience Program will provide 40 million in funds to farmers who lost farmers as a result of the the floods. Now, we asked, how do you think the Ghanaian government has handled the situation so far? And uh, Gracious Tobo says, very poor and shambolic. The president made some really unfortunate comments. So far, the benevolence of some Ghanaians to the victims has been great. Solomon Kunbata says the World Bank should disperse the $40 million to the affected people by itself because the government, they do not trust the government. The money will end up in individual pockets. Those are your comments. Uh, keep them coming. We'll be reading them in the course of this program. Mm-hmm. Now, there's also a live comment here as well before we move on. Asiyama Solomon says, oh, my country, Ghana. So there was no preparation before the spillage. That's the question that lots of the people affected have been asking. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, thank you for staying, for listening to us. This is Africa Link coming from our studios here in Bonn, Germany. My name is Okeri Gushinado. And Okeri is here with me, Michael Uti, and we see you on our Facebook page, Isiama, uh, Solomon, Musa, Kone, Mohammed, Babajane, uh, Koza, David Inchamba, Chema Moses. We appreciate all of you being here. Uh, share the program. Um, invite others so that they listen 
to this conversation. Now, coming up in this part of the program, we tell you about Nigeria's special military operation that is targeting Biafra separatists in the southeast region. We are now surrounded by dangerous criminals who want to decimate us and take over Iboland. Later, we also bring the upcoming sports games for this weekend. But first, in Kenya, a story of change, innovation and a booming local economy is unfolding. That is, President William Ruto is leading the change for all military and police uniforms, along also with various other clothing items to be exclusively, that is exclusively, manufactured on home turf. And as you can expect, this move has been met with resounding support from local textile companies, cotton farmers, garment workers and small businesses. It's a bold leap forward, revitalizing Kenya's local textile industry, while traditionally relied upon imports from countries like China, India, Pakistan, Tanzania and Turkey, hopefully would be reduced. Andrew Wasiki reports from Nairobi, Kenya's capital. President William Ruto's innovative directive for security forces to exclusively don Kenyan-made clothes and fabrics is stitching together threads of enthusiasm and hope, weaving a brighter tapestry for Kenya's ailing textile industry and its broader economy. And I have already issued instructions going forward. All uniforms, shoes, and other pieces and items of clothing that are required by all our security services must be manufactured locally by our companies and made by our Kenyan young people. Kenyan textile makers, cotton farmers and garment workers are applauding this move. Tejal Dodia, CEO of Thika Cloth Mill Textile, radiates optimism as she foresees Kenya's growth and job opportunities without textile imports. She's backed her belief by investing in advanced machinery to meeting rising demand. And everybody knows how important it is. The way I treasure it, I hope the country will treasure it. And let's all push for buy Kenya build Kenya. We're also running at full capacity, so if we don't put in the new machines now, then we will not be able to cater the market demands. Caroline Karugu, an investments and finance expert, confidently proclaimed that she proudly wears Kenyan-made clothes and ascertains that there's no need to import fabrics when Kenyans can produce them. Not only will it boost Kenya's economy, but also enhance self-reliance, and that's a financial win-win for Kenya. What I'm wearing is made here in Kenya. My jacket is made in Kawangware. These fabrics need not be imported. Uh, that can be done if, uh, for instance, we regularize the te- textile industry. What do Kenyans on the street think about this dramatic shift towards locally produced textiles and clothing? I went out to gather the voices of everyday citizens who form the backbone of the nation's economy. Let's listen to what they have to say. Uh, as much as we'd like to buy products made in Kenya, they are not available here. So some of the products would have to come maybe from China or India. Currently, people are starting to to embrace what we call signature, whereby someone wants to dress in this particular way. It's custom-made. So it's a good thing. What about the millions of Kenyans in the second-hand clothes business? Will the new directive impact them? Let's hear from Phyllis Wakaiga of the Kenya Association of Manufacturers, who suggests there's potential for growth and that these traders can transition to selling locally manufactured goods. If we have an opportunity where we're able to sell these goods in our local market, it then leads to the growth of that industry. And the second-hand uh, 
uh, traders, in my view, would also be able to sell these clothes in the local market because it's, it's not limited uh, to who can trade in, in manufactured clothes. So they would replace the product and sell it with uh, locally manufactured goods. As the threads of change continue to weave through Kenya's textile landscape, only time will tell the full tapestry of transformation and the impact it will have on Kenya's economy. Andrew Wasike filed that report. Now, let's go to Nigeria, where soldiers have launched a special military operation in the southeast of the country to check the violent activities of the outlawed indigenous people of Biafra Epop movement. So far, the military said that they have destroyed many of the Epop camps hidden in the forest where ritual killings occur and have even recovered fresh corpses. Our Niger Delta correspondent, Mohamed Bello, files this report. Like other states in Nigeria's southeast, security has deteriorated in Imo State, which is considered to be mostly hard hit by the activities of unknown gunmen suspected to be IPOP members. The attacks often target security agents, government officials, and facilities. Hundreds of people, including traditional rulers and politicians, have been killed in such attacks. The governor of Imo State, Hope Uzodima, explained how his state became the main target of criminals suspected to be IPOP. We are now surrounded by dangerous criminals who want to decimate us and take over Igbo land. We are witnessing the worst form of insecurity where human blood, held sacred by Igbos, is being shared recklessly, where human beings are beheaded and detected, and where non-state actors now decree the days the Igbo must go out to seek for their daily bread. A special military operation called named Southeast Operation Udoka 2 has been launched to fight back against the attacks. Nigeria's chief of army staff Lieutenant General Taurid Labaja said they would collaborate with other relevant stakeholders to contain all manner of criminalities in the region. We have heightened our efforts to contain criminality perpetrated in the southeast region by indigenous people of Biafra and Eastern Security Network through Operation Udoka. Our troops have, in collaboration with relevant federal stakeholders, put an end to the most famous sit-at-home order that has always crippled socio-economic activities in the zone. So far, the military operations have been yielding results. The details of the operations show that various camps hidden in the forest around communities, especially Imu, Inugu, and a number of states in the region, have been destroyed. Many arms and ammunition, including locally made guns, PKT machine gun barrels, a locally made rocket propelled launcher, and improvised explosive devices were recovered. The military said they discovered that the camps were being used to commit atrocities such as cannibalism and ritual killings just to instill fear. Nigeria's army spokesman said the operation will continue and would specifically combat ritual killings, kidnappings for ransom, and extortion of residents. Mohamed Bello filed that report on the Nigerian soldiers and the especially military operation that they've launched that is in southeast. And that is basically to combat the separatists um, that are basically creating havoc um, in that area. Now, we also asked on our Facebook page if you think that's the best way to deal with the separatist group. And Sunday Hosea says the government should address the reasons for the emergence of the group at a roundtable dialogue. Military invasion will only aggravate the problem. It's not necessary. Gad Idan says the Nigerian military are the ones doing everything evil. They are they accuse IBOP of the eastern of the eastern region. 
And Bayode Oluwaseyi says, the Nigerian government lacks diplomacy when it comes to solving anything that is related to the North. Uh, insurgency in the northern part of the country hasn't ended when the military went in. Mm-hmm. You can keep those comments coming on our page, DW Africa, and we will comment as time per- permits. Africa Link. Sports. It will be a full weekend in the sports world. I mean, there is the Premier League, there's the Rugby World Cup. And Michael, I think this weekend you're covering the Bundesliga game, if I'm not mistaken. That is correct. Uh, This weekend, Alex Sisto and myself will be bringing you the super, super exciting game between Union Berlin and Stuttgart. Uh, These are two of the most exciting clubs to watch in the Bundesliga. And um, I'm excited to bring you this game. Um, So there's so much to look forward to in the upcoming fixture that is happening on Saturday. Yes, I mean, mean, for any sports fan, anyone that loves Bundesliga, that's the game that Michael O.T. and Alex Sister will bring. But to break down what else is also happening, we have Kai Nebe who will bring us more. Thank you, Okeri and Michael. Yes, there's a huge weekend of sport coming up. So let's start off with the Rugby World Cup. South Africa have named an unchanged side to face England in their World Cup semi-final on Saturday, which is actually a rematch of the 2019 Rugby World Cup final, which, of course, South Africa won on that occasion. The Springboks beat hosts France 29-28 to in an epic quarterfinal last Sunday. With no changes made, halfbacks Korbus Reinach and Mani Libok retain their places in the starting 15, while fly half Andre Pollard remains on the bench. England, on the other hand, have freshened up their forward pack ahead of the game. Lock George Martin and prop Joe Marler have been recalled for Oli Chesum and Ellis Genga, who are among the reserves. England will also bring in Freddie Stewart at number 15 in place of Marcus Smith, possibly to deal with the high balls that are inevitably going to be kicked towards them by the Springboks. It's definitely going to be a game for the ages and I will be following that one. And just for the record, on the same day, South Africa play England in the Cricket World Cup, although that is a group stage match, not a semi-final of the World Cup. But South African sports fans inevitably have a lot to keep their eyes glued to the TV sets this weekend. In football, Liverpool have joined Chelsea and Arsenal in their chase for 24-year-old Napoli and Nigeria striker Victor Ossiman, who is rated at around £95 million. Liverpool manager Jurgen Klopp actually even sent scouts to watch Nigeria's friendlies against Saudi Arabia and Mozambique in Portugal this last week. The Napoli ace played just an hour against the Saudis before picking up a hamstring injury in the 2-2 draw. But the Liverpool boss already knows about the brilliance of Ossiman, who fired Napoli to Serie A glory last term round. Now on to the Premier League matches this weekend. With eight games played, the Premier League table is finally beginning to take shape. On Saturday, Chelsea will be going up against Arsenal, while Liverpool take on Everton in the famous Merseyside derby. For Manchester City fans, you can catch the Citizens playing against Brighton. The best players so far this season have also been listed according to Statsboff and SofaScore. Rodri is Manchester City's best performing player this season, ahead of Erling Haaland and James Madison is the highest rated performer in the Premier League. Seven straight losses in all competitions have brought German side Union Berlin back to reality after years of overachievement. 
Since clinching Bundesliga promotion for the first time in 2019, Union had only experienced one highlight after another, culminating in a remarkable fourth-place finish and Champions League qualification last season. But this season hasn't gone so well. They could, however, have some redemption as Union Berlin take on VfB Stuttgart on Saturday. Now on to African football. The continent's new elite club competition, the African Football League, will kick off on Friday with the opening game taking place in Tanzania. The AFL is a new competition for the continent's leading clubs, eight of whom will battle it out in the hope of winning the $4 million in prize money. On Friday, the 11-time African club champions Al-Akhli of Egypt meet Tanzania's Simba in the first of the quarterfinals, all of which are played over two legs. The brainchild of FIFA and its president Gianni Infantino, who announced in February 2020 that the continent needed a new pan-African club competition, is set to change the future of club football on the continent. The two-legged final of this year's inaugural AFL, which will be played on a knockout basis, is scheduled for the 5th and 11th of November. Kai Nebe brings us the sports um, highlights for this weekend. Yes, and on Saturday, look out for Sewu Girasi, who set a massive record in the Bundesliga. We're bringing you that. Remember the time is 5.14.25 CET. Um, so yeah, make a date with us, Alexis To and myself. And a quick reminder of our top story for today. We are following the unfolding humanitarian situation in Ghana, where floods uh, have displaced more than 26,000 people. And we are keeping our eye on that very closely. We have some comments on that specific story which is our top story for today i'm going to take one comment and then we can move on and we've said that here that tahiru taya says that the government has not done enough about the flood so thank you very much for your time i am michael uti and i'm okay Gushinado. until next time dw made for minds